So during our summer months uh, at Fort Christian Church, for, for many years, we've liked to uh, just have uh, cover one topic or maybe even just uh, cover one book of the Bible, um, just because we know that there's so many people who have to, to dip in and out during the summer as they go on vacation or they travel for uh, the kids' hobbies or sports teams. And so uh, we're going to be using this summer beginning today and stretching several months uh, to dive into the book of Luke, the book of Luke. It's also known as the gospel of Luke. And we're going to look at very significant moments within Jesus' life and ministry. And today specifically, uh, we're with the first teaching in a series that's going to span uh, many months, uh, we're going to be laying a lot of groundwork. Um, there's going to be a lot of facts we talk about today uh, regarding the gospel of Luke and, and, and why Luke is writing and what he's communicating. Uh, but first off, to, to kick this series off, what do we mean when we say gospel? If we're going to be covering the gospel of Luke, what do we mean when we say gospel? Because I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably confident, right, that gospel is a word that, that we don't throw around a lot with our friends and family. Um, we probably don't even talk about it um, outside of uh, Christian friends. And uh, a lot of people who use it, they use it because they have a pretty good grasp on what it means. But, but the word gospel has always had kind of a different history about it that may surprise a lot of us. A lot of us think that, oh, when you know, gospel was created, we started using that word uh, once people started writing about Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, but historically speaking, uh, before even Jesus roamed the earth and books were written about him, a gospel was used in a very different, very specific way. In the Roman Empire, from Alexander the Great and even into the thick of, of the Roman world, the, the term gospel was actually reserved and used to refer to history-making, world-shaping reports of stuff that was political, social, or, or even a lot of military victories is when you'd hear the term gospel used. For example, at the Battle of Marathon, this was in the year 490 BC, uh, Greece was invaded by Persia. And by all measures, Persia should have just wiped Greece off the planet, much like Major League Baseball, everyone is wiping our Orioles out daily. Um, there's no reason that, 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 that the Greece should have had a chance against Persia. But the unthinkable happened. Nobody ever would have guessed it, but, but Greece actually defeated Persia. And so after the Battle of Marathon, Greece sent, messengers, sent a messenger out to tell the gospel. Greece sent a messenger out to, to tell the good news to the people that they were now free. The, the battle has been won. They're communicating the gospel that you no longer had to be under fear and oppression of what you've grown accustomed to with these Persians. The miraculous had happened and now everything had changed. Now, as a fun fact, the first person who took that message uh, that, that Greece had won the battle of Marathon, they had to run 26.2 miles to convey the good news, to convey the gospel. Uh, that is why today, if you say, I'm going to run a marathon, you run 26.2 miles. Now, another fun fact is that I, 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 this is such a bad thing to laugh at. Um, he died. Um, the guy, yes, the guy ran 26.2 miles, communicated the good news, communicated the gospel that we won, and then he died. And so if you've ever found yourself thinking, man, I don't, I think I'd die if I ran a marathon. You, that's on the table. Um, so just keep that, keep that in mind. Um, so when we are talking about the, the gospel of Jesus, that term preceded him. And when we say the gospel of Jesus, we, we are talking about four books that bear his life and ministry, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when we say gospel, what we're talking about is a history-making, world-shaping report of Jesus that changes everything. 
The gospel of Jesus, it changes things socially, politically, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, the news of Jesus Christ, his gospel came to change everything. So that's what we mean when we say gospel. But Luke is just one of four gospels. So why do we need four aspects? Why do we need four opinions? Why do we need four reports on the same story? Why do we need four gospels of Jesus Christ? Now, some of you, uh, to answer that question, you're, you're with me uh, about a year and a half ago when we had five Sunday nights here where we, um, I led a class called How to Study the Bible. And, and I shared this with you, but, but why do we need four accounts? Well, take into account like uh, my relationship with my wife. Um, if you asked her uh, how we met, how we dated, how she got so darn lucky, um, if you asked her how we got engaged, and if you said, Julie, tell your story, she would share her version of the story and she would highlight a lot of a lot of details that were accurate and true but if you ask me moments later in her absence if you said well why don't you tell the story i would share also events and dates and memories that were true but also highlight a lot of things that, that maybe she didn't and you could start to formulate a better picture of the story of josh and julie um, if you asked us both instead of asking just one and not the other uh, think about it this way. Why do we need another book on world wars? Why do we need another book on anything significant? Because it adds depth, it adds angles and differing viewpoints to give us a greater understanding of the story we're being told. And so in a more spiritual God-designed sense, that is what you get with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's why we need four Gospels. And I'm not going to get into the details of, uh, about each and every one of their lives, but, but Luke and his account of, of Jesus' life, it's going to be great for us to study um, all summer. I'm, uh, I'll share in a minute, just above all, I think he's going to be great for us to study. Uh, and the reason why we're going to, to, to study Luke is because Luke is the only writer of the Gospels that did not write for a religious audience. Luke is the only writer of a Gospel that did not write for a religious audience. And today, I think, when, when we think uh, of the realm of religious or non-religious, uh, we tend to think through the lens of believer and non-believer, maybe a Christian and, and non-Christian. But they used different terms in Jesus' day and age uh, for believer and non-believer. What they used was these terms, Jews and Gentiles. Uh, Jews being the believers in the day and, and Gentiles being the non-believers. Now, for thousands of years, Jews were the believers. They were God's chosen people. You can go back to, to Genesis chapter 12, verses uh, 2 through 3, and, and it says that the Jews, they were selected to be God's prized people, the apple of his eye, and their responsibility was to go and be a blessing to the world. It was just about the Jews. They're the believers. Go be a blessing to the non-believing world. Uh, but all of that changed when Jesus came on to the sea. Now, in a Jewish town, Jesus was born into a Jewish family, and he was taught the Jewish curriculum. You can go and look at, at Jesus' ministry in the four Gospels and see when, when his ministry began, he selected Jewish disciples. He went and he spoke at the Jewish temple. The first parts of his ministry, he traveled mostly in Jewish areas. And this was in line with what the Jews thought for thousands of years. Prophets declared that their Jewish Messiah would, would show up on the scene and, and save them just in a merely political sense. They wanted saved from the Romans, the oppressive Roman government. Jesus was going to come just for the Jews, they thought. But all of that changed one day when Jesus was approached by a non-believer, a non-Jew. He was approached by this outsider, this, this Gentile. And it's one of the most significant moments in all of scripture, but it doesn't jump out at you as that. Because Jesus was surprisingly, at this point, traveling through a Gentile area. And this woman from Canaan, a Gentile town, came up and begged Jesus to heal his, her daughter. 
daughter is demon-possessed, and Jesus is, be- is being begged by this woman, please stop what you're doing. You have the power to heal him. Please come heal my daughter. You can make the difference. Come heal my daughter. It's up to you. If you don't do it, nobody else will. And Jesus seemed to ignore her at first. He didn't respond to her, and this probably cemented into the minds of Jesus' disciples and on all the Jews that, in fact, yes, he only came for the Jews. He only came for the believers. He's not here for the non-believers. But then everything changed. It was, it's one of the most significant moments in, in all of Scripture, one of them. Uh, Jesus finally pivots to this Gentile, non-believing woman, and he says, Dear woman, your faith is great, your request is granted, and her daughter was instantly healed. Now, it doesn't jump off the pages, but, but I promise you, if you were physically following Jesus in this day and age, this would have been a woe moment uh, of all woe moments. Because one woman, one daughter, one healing, and Jesus reveals that he has a different plan than the religious people thought all along. This is when it changed. This is when suddenly Jesus didn't just come for the Jews, he came for the Gentiles. He didn't just come for the insiders, he came for the outsiders. He didn't just come for the religious, but he came to show love and mercy and give direction to the non-religious as well. And then you can look at the timeline of Jesus' life and, and just about everything changed from that point on. Because then, then Jesus would, all the way to the cross and his resurrection, moment by moment, what would unfold is that he was there not just for the Jews, but he was there for the Gentiles. He wasn't just there for the insiders, but the outsiders, not just the believers. He was there for everybody. And with this awareness, with this, this passion for non-believers, Luke sets out to record uh, the events of Jesus' life in a way that, that non-Jews, non-believers, the outsiders would understand. And he's writing this because Luke was once an outsider himself. Well, we don't know a whole lot about Luke before he followed Jesus, but we do know he was a Gentile. He was a non-believer. And we know a little bit more about him through uh, the, the words of other church leaders. Um, he was a companion, Luke was, with the best church leader the world had ever known. His name's the Apostle Paul. And And Paul tells us in his letter to the church in Colossae that that Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings. And so we know Luke was a doctor. We know he was intelligent. Um, People agree, historians agree that as a writer, he was a master. He was above and beyond, way more educated than, than his gospel counterparts. We know that he was very observant on the details of life. This probably goes without being said, but I'm going to say it anyway. Luke didn't wake up one rainy Tuesday and thought, well, there's nothing else to do. I'll just, I'll write a book of the Bible today. Like, that's not what happened. That's not what happened with any of them. In fact, Luke only intended for his gospel of Jesus to be shared with one other person. Just one other person is what he had in mind. He, he, He never would have guessed in his wildest dreams that we would be doing this with his words. So let's go ahead and dive into Luke chapter 1, verse 1. We're only going to cover four, four verses today, and we're going to see who that person is because it gives us a great takeaway from today's teaching. Uh, Luke begins by, by telling us, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used eyewitness reports circulating among us from early disciples. So Luke starts off his letter by simply speaking into existence that he knows he's not doing anything super new. He knows other people have wrote about what Jesus came, what he did, what he fulfilled. He, he, he knows that, and he's letting who he's writing to know that. In fact, depending on which historian you, you want to believe, uh, Luke was probably aware that Matthew and Mark 
wrote a gospel before him and, and John came after Luke. And so, so Luke knows that writing down the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, it's not a new thing. But the reason why Luke is doing all of this is fascinating. Here's why he's writing this. He says, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, there's that doctor mindset he has. I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So Luke's saying, I wasn't one of the eyewitnesses of the events of Jesus' life from the beginning, but he puts himself in the same line as those because he's talked to, to people who were eyewitnesses to what happened in Jesus' life. And the whole reason that he's even going through all the effort to write this is for the benefit of one man, and his name is Theophilus. And from what we gather, Theophilus was this high-ranking, uh, influential member of the, of the government, and, and he was a Gentile. He was a non-believer. He was the outsider. And Luke says, the whole reason I'm doing this is so that way you, Theophilus, can make up your mind about Jesus Christ. Luke wanted this man named Theophilus. Luke, as a former outsider, wanted this outsider to know about Jesus and all he had done. He wanted this man to think about the things of Christ. He wanted Theophilus to have the chance to make an assessment on whether Jesus was the truth or a phony. Luke is right. Everything we're going to study this summer, Luke is writing because he wants Theophilus, this non-believer, to know the hope, the grace, and love of Jesus Christ. And Luke knows he can do something about it. Now, he didn't have to, but he desires to. Luke expends a lot of energy so this man can come to know Christ. Now, we are only four verses in of the 1,151 that make up Luke, but, but this example provides us a question worth asking. And that question is, what people outside of faith are you talking to about Jesus? What people outside of faith are you talking to about Jesus? Right? Who is that, that, that person? Who are those people that you're actually, with your love, with your words, giving a chance to know Jesus Christ? Who are those people that you're giving a chance for them to, to know Jesus and what he has done for them, what he has done for you, what he has done for the world? Right? Who is that person or who are those people that you in your day-to-day -day life, you want them to be sure about Jesus? And I know it's hard. We, we, we bow to the tyranny of the urgent. It's so easy for us to live Sunday to Sunday to Sunday to Sunday. And I think sometimes we forget that the main way that people come to know Christ is through people who came to know Christ. Let me say it again. The main way still today that people come to know Christ is through people like you and I who came to know Christ and know it's made such a big difference in our lives. We can't shut up about it. Even in our own stories of faith, I don't think any of us woke up and said, you know what, today's a day to invite Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Um, I'm just going to mow grass, but, but I'll do that instead. No, like, well, what's probably more likely is, is that for people like us, um, there is someone in our lives, whether it was an individual or an entire church, that loved us so well, they weren't afraid to speak about Jesus because they wanted us to know the truth. You are sitting right here today because someone wanted you to know the truth of Jesus Christ. That is almost guaranteed your story in some way, shape, or form. And so Luke is so set on this guy just getting to know Jesus, getting to know the truth of him. And it begs us to consider, is there anyone in our lives that we are talking to about Jesus? Are, are we hoping just one day something will click, right? Maybe one day they'll stumble upon the passion of the Christ and the ending will shock them into faith, right? Right? 
Uh, are we afraid to talk about Jesus to people because we're thinking, well, that's what Shine FM is for. Or if you read my t-shirt, you may fall in love with Jesus. Like, like what are, are we thinking is going to happen? Uh, do we think it's someone else's responsibility? Because I can tell you this much. I am so glad that in my life, somebody thought it was their responsibility to talk to me about Jesus. I have no idea what my life would look like. I owe everything to Jesus, but so much to this, this guy named Joe Palmer, who in English class 2003 wouldn't leave me alone. He just couldn't stop telling me about Jesus. I'm glad it, he knew it was his responsibility and he didn't pass the buck because I don't know if anyone else would have talked to me. And there are people in our lives that have the opportunity to hear about Jesus from us and they may never because we're passing the buck. I remember even when I started going to that youth group for a couple of months and I was such an outsider. I mean, I remember when I first came in the doors of the church that day, there were two girls that came up to me and I thought that they were just going to greet me and be Christians. Um, they said, Josh Haltom, why are you here? And I, I had the same question immediately. Um, why am I here? Um, but, but then that, that once we got past that, um, you know, the, the youth group, the, the, the leaders, the church, everybody loved me so well. And I remember distinctly this one moment in time when I looked around the room and, and I, I grew up in a small town of 600 people. I have known all of these people who have known Jesus. I've known them for my entire life. And I had this thought, why didn't they tell me about this sooner? Being loved and forgiven by Jesus was the most amazing thing. Being a part of a church family that just wants to love you like him. I remember thinking, why wouldn't you have told me about this sooner? And I can promise you there are people in your life like that too. Who if they got to experience what you get to experience, if, if they got to experience the love of Jesus and his grace, they would ask you, why wouldn't you tell me sooner? I have those people. We all have those people. There's a great section of scripture in the book of Romans that talks about, about this, our responsibility. And, and Romans was written by the apostle Paul. He's that buddy of Luke's that we're studying this summer. And uh, Paul, Paul writes to the church in Rome, a church that lived just in the thick of, uh, of non-believers. And these believers are persecuting them. And, and even in that environment, Paul says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him, trusts in Jesus, will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentiles are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and everyone is still true. Not because we're good enough, because we are. You, you, you cannot be good enough to be ushered in, into uh, Jesus' arms and grace. I promise that I heard a pastor say, say last week, he said, we're all crooked in our own regard. None of us are going to get to heaven and, and Jesus is going to say, finally, someone I can relate to. Um, all of us are, are crooked in our own regard, but we have the opportunity to be saved. And if you've never put your trust in Jesus, I can promise you in, in, in one moment, everything you've ever done wrong can be forgiven. In one moment, your eternity can, can change. It, it's just great news, right? But how that news travels is essential. It's up to people like you and I. And this is what Paul says. He says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, 
How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Despite the advancements that have happened over 2,000 years, the way that good news of Jesus Christ still most effectively spreads is for people like you and I caring enough about people who don't know Jesus to talk about Jesus. Nothing will ever replace that. So let me ask you again, what people outside of faith are you talking to about Jesus? What people outside of faith are you talking to about Jesus? Because those people in your life who, who don't have a faith, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can those people in your life who don't know about Jesus, how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? Those people in your life who don't know Jesus, how can they hear about Jesus unless someone tells them? And why can't you be that someone? Why can't you be that someone? You know, there's many times in my life, um, too many, where, where I've not talked to people enough about Jesus. Um, I, I'm not standing up here always being the glowing example of that. And, and some of you are like, well, do you, do you do it every Sunday? And it's like, okay, this doesn't count, right? Like it's, someone always, people always ask like, you're an introvert by nature. How can you, you talk to so many people? And I said, well, they don't talk back while I do it. And that makes it easier. Um, there's a couple over here that, that do sometimes. Um, um, but, but, but it makes it a little bit easier. But, but there's been too many times in my life where I've settled for this. You want to hear me talk about Jesus, come, come to church. You, you know the address. It's between two cornfields. Um, you know, but, but I've not always been good at having conversations with, with people. I, I, I've messed up on what I, we're talking about more than I've gotten right, probably. And, and none of us have always gotten it right. But, but as I look back over seasons where I didn't talk enough uh, about Jesus, let, let me tell you, when I've been apathetic about it, let me, let me tell you what has always been the case in my heart and my head. And I bet it's the same uh, in your life uh, to some extent as well. Anytime that I've just had a season where I'm just not talking to, to, to people about Jesus, I've either forgotten how good Jesus is or I've forgotten how bad I am without him. Every season of my life where I've not done a great job of talking to people about Jesus, I've either forgotten how good Jesus is or how bad I would be without him. And I venture to say it's the, it's the truth in your life, or at least some of ours anyway. If heaven is good enough for us to want it, then, then hell has to be so bad that we're not afraid to speak in a way that could save people from it. Let me close with this story. In his book, it's titled The No Guilt Guide for Witnessing. And, and uh, that's basically witnessing is a fancy way that Christians say talking to people about Jesus. Um, so in his book, The No Guilt Guide for Witnessing, uh, the author George Sweeting, he tells of a man named uh, John Currier. And in 1949, John Currier was, was found guilty of murder. Um, and after being charged with, with, with murder, John Currier, he was sentenced to life in prison. And so later on in his life, uh, John Currier was actually transferred and paroled. Um, he was on good enough of behavior that they said, we're going to parole you. Um, and you're going to serve out your time there at a farm in, in Nashville, Tennessee. And so, and actually in 1968, Currier, while he was working there on that farm of his sentencing of his parole, uh, his sentence was actually terminated. And a letter bearing the good news was actually mailed to him to, at that farm. But John never saw the letter. He was never told anything about it. In fact, the, the farmer got the letter, read it, and decided to burn it and, and never tell John that he, he was a free man. He never told him this good news. And life on the farm was challenging. 
Uh, There's no hope, no future for for John. And uh, he just kept doing for years what he thought he had to do. Uh, He had no idea that the farmer kept the work from him. And eventually the farmer died. And John Courier just kept serving that sentence. There was no hope for him. And in fact, another 10 years went by. And then a state parole officer, he learned about Courier's issue. He learned what the farmer did with the letter. And he went and found the guy and he told him, what are you doing? You don't have to live this way. Don't you get it? You're free. But he never got the news. And so the author concluded that story by, by asking this. Would it matter to you if someone sent you an important message, the most important in your life, and year after year, the urgent message was never delivered. We who have heard the good news about Jesus, we who have experienced that life-changing freedom, we have the responsibility to proclaim it because people are living a life they don't have to live because we're afraid to talk about Jesus. It's our responsibility to communicate that message. And I think what Luke challenges with in just the first four verses of an entire summer series is to consider Are we really doing everything we can to make sure that people in our life who don't have faith can get the message of Jesus Christ? So I'm just going to ask it one more time and we'll pray and I'll be done here. What people outside of faith are you talking about Jesus? Who are you talking to about Jesus? Let's pray. Um, God, we are so thankful. We probably don't slow down enough to realize how thankful we are that, that you've, you've loved us enough to send your son to us. It's, it, it, my goodness, for those of us here, it's everything we cling to. It's everything that sustains us. Jesus Christ is, is, is all of our hope. And, and, and who are we to, to hang on to that hope and not share it with those who need to hear it? Like, my goodness, who, who are we that we can't spare a few words, even as uncomfortable or awkward as they can be, if we choose to believe by faith that we are saved because you spared your, own, your, your only son, Jesus, how can we not just spare a few words here and there? There are people in each of our lives who, who need your love and who need a relationship with you. And so may we be loving and kind enough to, to speak about all you've done. May we be encouraged to tell of how amazing your love has been in our lives. May we be willing to, to speak love on your behalf. Just have us care about people like you care about people. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.